Listening Dog Media. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. I'm Kate Borsay and alongside me, probably scouring lastminute.com. Do you remember that website? As we speak to find that perfect postseason holiday, it's Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Hoops. Oh, I'm all over that. I've already got one booked in for the end of May. <gasps> oh. And I'm Abroad open to other offers. That's at home because I didn't want to be too risky until we've heard all the rest of these announcements. So I've gone for a nice Dorset Jurassic Coast retreat for a few <laughs> days. But yeah, <laughs> I'm to middle age nicely hoops. <laughs> I'm definitely all over those websites. I've booked as well um, a nice afternoon tea in the centre of London. It was a present, one of those gifts that you have to do by a certain date. But of course, it expired during all of COVID. So I've booked that in, um, looking for a show to go to. Oh, it feels like life's returning to normal. Oh, well, listen, talking about returning to normal, we're back with a bang with Sky Sports News anchor Hayley McQueen. Hi, Hales. Hi. Have you booked anything whilst we're talking about holidays, a well, bit like we're at the hairdressers. I'm sure this is entertaining everyone. <laughs> I've booked time off work, so I've actually booked my annual leave, but I haven't booked a holiday yet. We've inquired about a villa, and this is in Portugal because and everyone's going to be going. But we, we go every year and I'd like to have a nice big family holiday. Um, so I'm just crossing my fingers that might come off, but I haven't been so bold as to book flights or to book the actual villa yet. So I think I will also be looking at uh, homestays or or maybe even going to Cornwall like we did last year Very and hope nice. that it doesn't rain all week like it did last year. Every <laughs> well, day. All those Every spin day. All those yep. footballers are onto something, aren't they, with their Portuguese holiday villas. I seem to remember Stephen Gerrard had at least a couple of them uh, whilst he was at Liverpool. Uh, certainly if Portugal makes the green list. Let's see. Uh, well, look, it has been another dramatic week in the world of football with protests. We th- saw that, didn't we? Liverpool, Manchester United protests at the Lowry Hotel. Fans getting onto the pitch at Old Trafford as well. Um, so, yeah, that game postponed. Um, it definitely hasn't quietened down. But one place that it was quiet uh, was social media, of course. There was a four-day, well, pretty much four-day boycott uh, that we took part in. I think all of us were quiet as well, weren't we? Yeah. And and actually, it was strange because all of these things started happening, like the protests mm. at Manchester United. And usually, your feed would be full of all the information to do with it, whereas um, you had to really 
turn on the TV, watch Sky News unfold or whatever 24-hour channel. Yeah, you, you just had to do it the traditional way. Um, and then there was all these crazy matches as well. I was at the, the Black Country Derby, torrential rain on mm. Monday, the worst weather conditions of the entire season coming May. I really felt for you, Linz. I mean, it oh. looked horrendous. <laughs> so, yeah, I saved you from posting pictures of me just drowning. <laughs> What's your take on what happened at, at Old Trafford, Hayley? Oh, God. Well, I mean, I got to work a little bit early thinking, well, I'm on air. At, I think it was around about six o'clock. I'll have watched the game at work. It'll be great. That's all part of my prep. I was like, very lucky. And of course, I sat there just in disbelief about what was actually happening. And similarly, you would normally turn to social media to maybe I follow a lot of Man United fans and, and fan sites and Liverpool as well and, and all the local journalists. And you can normally get a really good picture of what's actually happening. Mm. I stopped myself from even looking at Twitter or looking at Instagram. So I didn't just come off it and not post. I actively didn't oh, go didn't on look and look. Okay. No, I thought if I'm going to have a complete break, it needs to be a complete break. And it was hard not to just go on. Um, but colleagues and people around the office were just saying, no, that there's literally, there's nothing on there. Um, and the, the things that were trending were very odd. But I just really paid attention to what a lot of the pundits were saying. And listen, I was just engrossed in, in Gary Neville and Roy Keane and uh, what Jamie Carragher had to say. I knew there were going to be protests and I did always wonder how that was going to work. I didn't think there were enough police there. You can, you can blatantly well, see that from yes. the outset. They knew there were going to be protests. Yeah, I think they it just is ha- stupid, isn't it, really? There are only, what, seven or so police officers that uh, we, we had at the Times. Paul Hurst was there and he came and chatted to us about it. He just said he couldn't believe how few police officers were there. And so it was sort of relatively easy for the fans to get onto the pitch. And of course, then when the police did arrive, that's when it got nasty. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, most of or the majority of the fans on the pitch, they were just teenage kids. They weren't the, the, the grown-ups who maybe had a little bit more sense. They just got a little bit lost in the moment. Mm. One of them um, fell off the goalpost taking yeah. a selfie, which was the only Good. mildly amusing Hope he hurt himself. <laughs> I'm not condoning it. Obviously, I think it was disgraceful and, and it's awful. They obviously vandalised property and it's breaking and entering, I suppose, as well, isn't it? But at the time, we didn't know if somebody had let them in or whether there was a gate that was open or whether they had broken a door down. So that kind of all transpired um, as sort of the, the evening and the day went on. And then footage started to be shared by fans, um, which I wasn't sure if it was going to be because I didn't know if the fans would want to be showing what was actually happening. But of course, the majority of the fans there didn't agree with what was happening in terms of the, you know, the pitch invasion and, and, the, and the violence towards the police officers and, and each other as well. So, yeah, I mean, protests ahoy. Lynn's just quickly back on the social media boycott. One, one upside and one downside for you, if we just take the kind of social media digital detox into hand. Um, I know I struggled with people tweeting me and me not liking it. I felt, I mean, obviously the point was the, was the wider message, but I never expected to worry about offending people by not liking things <laughs> that they'd said to me. I think the upside was that everyone was in it together. It felt yeah. like the whole of the, the football fraternity came together, didn't it? And decided that, yeah, we're going to take this stance. And I think it's also gone to show the that, you know, it's pretty quiet on those platforms when the, when the football community aren't, aren't talking, certainly on mine anyway. That's probably because of all my interests, but there was nothing going on. So I think it's good to show that it could happen again and that it is something that will continue to happen um, if things don't change. I mean, 
easily the down point was that I've seen things since, you know, since everybody went back on. I've even seen um, photo grabs of abuse that have been sent to players yeah, again already. Players. Yeah. So yeah. so that's a, a massive downside. And, and I also think from women's football point of view, and it was something we covered on the Offside Rule WSL edition this week, that... Um, there isn't as much information for for the women's football um, supporters and and fan base as there is for men. So you, even when it came to team news for some of the smaller teams in WSL, you were struggling to get the information if it wasn't on a social media platform. Yeah. And I think that really highlighted the gulf between information available for, for both sports. Yeah, totally. Normally, uh, if it was a men's team, you'd be looking at the club website. But in this case, there's not the resource there for clubs to provide that. And, uh, and, and often fan accounts, really good fan accounts, do tweet minute by minute action or will give you lineups or reports from games. And of course, we were, we were missing all of that in the women's game. All right, let's get started. So on the show today, we are going to be uh, speaking about nice owners because we've been laying into owners a lot recently. We're going to flip it on its head and uh, talk about the nice people uh, in football instead. We're also going to talk about players missing games because of bizarre reasons. Now, this is because Marcelo was due to miss the second leg of Real Madrid's Champions League semi-final against Chelsea on Wednesday because of election duty. In the end, it was all okay. He made the bench. But there are some brilliant and bizarre reasons as to why players have missed games. Uh, So we'll be talking about those. Next up, though, we're going to take a look at who in the championship is standing out in terms of performance and whether there's promotion or not, which players might make a jump to the Premier League next season. Okay, so topic one, EFL to PL and we're going to focus on the championship for this one. It was the EFL's end of season awards celebrating the best talent in the Football League Uh, but I think we want to focus on the championship and which players uh, may well make the jump up to the Premier League. Obviously some will be promoted anyway but there are some who Premier League teams are going to be having their eyes on because of a standout season. So who's going to be snapped up this summer? Uh, Let's go to you Hayley, one of your picks please. There's quite a lot of talent on offer in the championship, I realise. Mm-hmm. And there are quite a few players that I think would be loyal to their clubs if they get promoted. And of course, you look at the playoff situation, there'll be teams in the Premier League secretly rubbing their hands that teams like Bournemouth might not eventually get there so that they can snap up some of their um, quality players. And I have actually picked um, one of the players that caught the eye, um, Dan Juma. Goodness me. Now, he arrived on the South Coast. This is from, from Club Bruges uh, back in August 2019. And he, he came for £13.7 million. Pounds. Um, didn't probably have the best first season, but he's definitely, definitely come into his own now. Um, he stayed loyal with the club. He could have potentially made a move in January. There were lots of clubs interested in him. He has provided 15 goals and seven assists so far this season. I think he found life in the championship, very comfortable. He has come out and said that he wants to play in one of the top five competitions in the world next season. There has been talk of him uh, returning to Eredivisie. He's been linked with Ajax as well, who of course just, just won the league. Bournemouth have mapped out a bit of a trajectory. He said he felt he was in the right place. He wanted to bring the club back to the Premier League. So he hopes that they'll get into the Premier League. And it does sound like he might stay there if they intended on doing that, but he is just too good to stay at Bournemouth in the championship. Sorry, Bournemouth. Sorry, championship. Um, You look at some of the teams that would absolutely snap him up. Um, 
if Wilfred Zaha, who is constantly linked with the move away from Palace, decides to go, there are similarities between him and Dan Juma. Yeah, and West Ham fans will know him very well, of course. He's a winger and he absolutely destroyed Ben Johnson in particular and the Hammers. This was during a pre-season friendly at the London Stadium. So he really announced himself in that game and he's pretty much kept up those high standards uh, since. He didn't play much, as I mentioned last season. He actually started just a meagre six league games and it was a, a failed battle battle against relegation, wasn't it? But he's absolutely come into his own. He's really changed a lot in the nine months. Maybe he will stay at Bournemouth. And um, this is obviously depending on what actually happens with Bournemouth. Um, but I, I can see him wanting a move away. And he's actually come out and said, he's not been quiet about it either. He's not said, no, no, I'm not going to discuss my future. Or I want to stay here. He has said he wants to play top flight football. Come and get me. And one of the reasons why Dan Jim has been so successful at Bournemouth is he's had this really lovely partnership, really fruitful partnership, actually, um, with Lloyd Kelly. And he's one of my picks that seems right to bring him in. 22 years old, was in the youth setup at Bristol City, played for the senior side before moving on to Bournemouth. And I think easily has had his best season to date. A lot of that is because of this partnership with Dan Juma. So if one of them goes, then he could argue that that um, that perhaps it's best that the other one went. Uh, I guess it depends on their desires and ambitions. Um, but with Lloyd Kelly, he's 22 and he is one of those defenders that uh, one of the big sides will snap up just for the investment factor more than anything else. And also because he has really developed his game. It's all about physicality and finesse for him at centre-back. And actually, there's a really good write-up of him in The Athletic. And it says that where he's particularly been successful this season is his shoulder-to-shoulder challenges, using his stature intelligently to give himself space to win possession. If you look at Opta and the stats, no other Bournemouth defender to have started at least seven Seven league games this season has won possession more times per 90 than Kelly. So that tells you some of the effect that he's having on that team. Um, I think he's easily one of the best one-on-one defenders in the championship. So for me, Lloyd Kelly at Bournemouth is going to get a move. I think he'll be too, it'll be too hard for some of the bigger clubs to resist not only his potential, but also the fact that, you know, arguably you could slot him into a side if you needed to now. And there's no loyalty to a manager because look how much upheaval there has been at Bournemouth this season. It's kind of, they've they've had their ups and downs with regards to who's been taking charge and, and Eddie Howe, of course, going as well. Um, so I think there, there, there's that factor that comes into it. If you have a steady manager that's there that maybe brought you in, that, that trusts in you, I think you might be more inclined to want to stay and play for the manager. But that yeah. doesn't even come into play now, does it? Poor Jonathan Woodgate is going to be absolutely raided, according to you two. Um, I'm going to go for the obvious one because this is the one that is nailed on. Will not be at Brentford next season, whether they go up or not. And that's Ivan Tony because, wow, the links with Premier League clubs keep yeah. on coming every day, it feels. Uh, Chelsea apparently in the mix. You know, they're in the Champions League final now and they're looking at Ivan Tony. Um, Everton, you can definitely see him providing a service at Everton up front. West Ham, they've also been linked. I don't think poor Brighton would get a look in, although Brighton really do need a striker and someone that can score the amount of goals that Ivan Tony's proven he can. So 30 goals, that is what has got everyone's attention this season. A price tag of probably around £35 million. Um, he perfectly stepped in and replaced Ollie Watkins. And many are thinking that he's just got as much potential to score as many goals in the Premier League. Um, his former uh, director of football at Peterborough, Barry Fry, said he absolutely 
absolutely can make the step up. I think he was even indicating he could be perfect competition for Antonio at West Ham there. He's 25 years old and he's one goal away from eclipsing Glenn Murray's record of the most goals in a championship season. Uh, Glenn Murray getting that record in 2012-13 with Palace. Tony needs just one more goal uh, for that. And you look at the playoff teams, I suppose any of these that don't go up will have Premier League scouts looking at their their players because of how they've performed this season in the Championship. Brentford being one of them, Swansea, Bournemouth, who you've mentioned, and Barnsley being the other. But Ivan Tony has to be the top of this list. He's going to be the, the first summer transfer, I would have thought, out of the Championship into the Premier League. OK, well, I'll chip in with Reading's Michael Elise. He was named Young Player of the Season at the EFL Awards. He was in the Championship Team of the Year as well. None of that is a coincidence when you look at the season he's been having. Uh, normally plays as an attacking midfielder, but he can go on the wing um, as well. 19, so just a young slip of the thing. But I think when you look at the way that he plays, again, he has he's one of those players that has maturity beyond his words, natural ability, confidence on the ball as well. And his passing range as well you know probably normally befits someone older than him um great eye for goals um good at getting himself out of tight situations on the field um, i was reading a couple of old sort of accounts of him and one of his former coaches was um was speaking to a, to a particular website and he just said from the off Michael's always been a player who plays with his mind he's a very intelligent player in the championship this season 43 appearances six goals 11 assists uh, and that's if you compare it to last season where he was only involved in one goal so only an assist for, for one goal this season and that tells you something about what a trajectory this player has been on uh, quite a lot of inconsistencies in his game um, as a younger player but his figures have just been so strong this season I think he's sort of properly matured into his game he's got quite an interesting history as well was with Chelsea Youth I think he was with Manchester City Youth for a little while as well but he went to Reading in the youth setup and then into the first team and interestingly he's also played for France at under 18 level as well his mum's French but in March this year he was named as a standby for the Nigeria squad to take part in their Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers uh, he's out of contract from next summer at Reading and you know again a player who's worthy of an investment um, and when you look at the other you know whether it's Timu Puki or you look at um, Brentford's um, Ivan Tony, you know he is he is one of those players that's basically worth your buck and and kind of won't be incredibly expensive as well. Someone someone worth the investment. And I think his agent will really be pushing for a move, Kate, because like you say, there's the, the contract situation running out, Reading just yeah. missing out on the playoffs. Yeah. They're the team that finished in seventh um, and, well, and hopefully hang on to seventh because Cardiff could overtake them on the final day. So yeah. you look at a team like Reading and they were all primed to try and get into the Premier League. I, I think Elise will want to move. I think you're right. I'm going to go even further down the table and pick out a player that has shone for Middlesbrough this season. They're in 10th at the moment going Going into the final weekend and what is it that everyone needs a really good center back and this is what you get with Dale Fry I'm going to put him out there on the market which Middlesbrough might not thank me for certainly oh, Middlesbrough fans Lindsay, like Hayley <laughs> I mean Hayley how superb has, has he been he's played at every single level so far for yes. England from under 17s to yep. under 21s loads of experience there um, we're bringing in age again, but we have to because, of course, it's such a marketable value. But value. He's 23 years old. 
Um, he's great at aerial duels. Um, in the matches that I've seen him in the championship this season, I, there wasn't one he didn't get that over another player. I was absolutely bowled over by that. Six foot tall, not the the tallest of defenders, but reads the game really, really well. Um, and I look at the the sides in the Premier League and and someone like Crystal Palace, who've got this ageing defence that need a breath of fresh air in their squad, or even Burnley, because if, if Tarkovsky ends up moving, then Sean Dyche is going to need a replacement. And I mean, there's so many more teams I could throw into the mix. I just think centre-backs are worth their weight in gold. And if yeah. you can find a good one uh, that has this international experience as well, yeah. then uh, Dale Fry, I think, should be one that clubs are looking at. Yeah, and he's been there since he, he was a kid. I know he's a local boy as well to Middlesbrough, but he made his debut at 17 years old. He's been around a bit for a 20 year Yeah, he has old, that experience. Sure. Yeah. yeah, but it's kind of sort of gone about his business unnoticed, just a very traditional English northeast type player. Um, but yeah, now he's definitely uh, setting the championship alight. I don't think they're going to be able to hold on to him. Yeah, so we've named quite a few players across different positions there. And interestingly, when you look at players who could move from Championship up to Premier League, you either look at youth and you look at whether they are at the point in their career where they can be taken on by a Premier League side and there's still investment potential there, or you go for experience. And interestingly, none of us have kind of chosen one of the older players who perhaps would make a useful uh, person on the subs bench or would would be a reliable backup uh, for any of the Premier League clubs. All right, we will wrap it up there and head to topic two where are you where have you gone without me all right missing in action now this was inspired by Marcelo who we thought would miss the Champions League semi-final uh, for Real Madrid against Chelsea on Wednesday because of election duty uh, I don't know what happened someone must have pulled some strings managed to <laughs> pull a postal ballot out of somewhere and he was at the game and on the bench so he didn't quite miss it but that hasn't stopped us really enjoying looking at some of the ridiculous reasons that players have missed games Hayley what have you found? Right players who've missed games for strange reasons there have been quite a few examples that I remember of at Manchester United where players had passports that are either expired <laughs> or completely disappeared which is why the club decided to keep hold of players passports because they could not be trusted um I'm not going to go down that route. I'm going to give you a story from Scotland. And actually, it was Lindsay that helped me out with this one. She pointed me in the direction of a story that I had never heard before. And it's absolutely brilliant. Okay. Queen of the South and their goalkeeper, the reserve goalkeeper who they desperately needed at the time because first choice goalkeeper Alan Martin was out with an injury, um, wasn't able to make the game. Why? Because he got tackled by a cow on his dad's farm <laughs> and became injured. That's right. Sam Henderson. Incapacitated. Just, yeah, 19 years old, finally getting the chance to step into the, the boots or the, you know, slide on the gloves of Alan Martin. But yeah, um, Jack Leefield, this young kid, ended up stepping in. Not that that matters, but yeah, what a shame. Tackled by a cow, helping up on helping out on his dad's farm and not able to make the match it's so <laughs> it's so scottish if you if i'd have told you that story and i didn't tell you the team you you know wouldn't you that that, that yeah. come from <laughs> yeah if it involves cows it involves scotland let's whiz through a few more so Lindsay, give me one of your favorites 
I've I've stuck with Champions League matches. I was thinking domestically, there can't be any bigger than, than missing a Champions League game. And as that was nearly the case for Marcelo, I was trying to focus my efforts there. Um, we'll start with one which I've I've always found amusing. I, I'm not sure whether we've ever discussed this before, actually, ladies. We might mm-hmm. have done many years ago on the show, but um, it's one that I always remember with AC Milan defender Philippe Mexes. Um, he was set to play against Celtic, so another Scottish link there. That was in the in the Champions League. He had to drop out of the side with an eye injury and you think well fair enough but when you dig a bit deeper and the press certainly (laughs) did uh, it was released in uh, reports in Italy that he'd spent too much time on a sunbed trying to top up his tan that is how he damaged his eyes you can get really serious eye problems actually if you don't put the old goggles on Um, and that is what happened with Mex's so in November 2013 he had to be overlooked for someone else because of this eye complaint. We were chatting earlier, weren't we, Linz, about Ryan Colclough, who who basically didn't, he, he didn't miss a game, but said that he didn't miss the birth of his child. He did miss getting a hat-trick. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, because he, he, I think he got two goals and then was subbed off, wasn't he, to go and, that was for his, the birth of a third child. Um, let's go to another Scottish one for you, Hayley. And this is, you know, perhaps forgivable, player called Stuart Devine. But one of the biggest games of his career he missed when his amateur Scottish side, Boness United, uh, not one I've heard of before, uh, were due to face our Broth, one that we have heard of, in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup. It wasn't that he was injured or suspended. It was just away on holiday. And <laughs> he just thought, nah, it's not worth coming back for. Uh, didn't expect his amateur side to reach the finals of the competition. And I don't think they did, to be fair. But yeah, when you're on holiday and you think, nah, it's not worth coming back. Uh, Shinji Kagawa as well at Manchester United. Um, this is a bizarre reason for missing a game. I think it was when David Moyes was in charge. Um, he was due to play against Newcastle, um, but he was absent. So no one really knew why before the game. And um, David Moyes basically said that it's a bad sickness. Okay. Uh, and then went on to reveal that uh, Kagawa basically said to Moyes that he thought he'd eaten too much, had to get his stomach pumped, um, but was okay. Um, so basically, in essence, <laughs> he did what we all do very often, ate too much food, fell ill, had to get wow. his stomach pumped and missed the game. There we go. That, the wow. stomach pumping doesn't happen to me often. I must no, admit. no, it doesn't. Eating, <laughs> eating too much, but he must have eaten an extraordinary amount to warrant medical intervention. Maybe one of those big buffets where it's just eat what you want and you just get <laughs> all you can away, eat. Don't yeah, you? I don't know, but even isn't so. there actually Haley by where you work? I don't know whether it's still there, but at mm. Sky um, headquarters, <gasps> yes. isn't there a place where you can do like a, a challenge or it's like a huge sandwich? I've I've driven past it before and it says yeah, come in here. A huge and- sandwich. It's called Man Eats. Oh man versus or something. Man yeah. versus food. That's it. Literally, I've never been in, as you can tell, but man versus food. And you can go in and basically compete to eat as much as you want for a certain amount of money, I think. <laughs> so random. Hmm. Got, who's got the next one? Linz, have you got one or Hayley? Yeah, I've got another Champions League one. This was at group stage. Um, this was a bit more recent, 2017. Um, Marco Asensio missed um, a Champions League group stage game. Um, it was for Real Madrid against Apoel. And it was because he quite likes his male grooming. 
And he was epilating um, the hair on his legs and got an infected <laughs> pimple, which meant that he couldn't play. It was very one. sore yes. to touch. Yeah. Very bizarre wow. indeed. Hayley, but very smooth, very smooth legs yes. afterwards. So that, that was but the main no thing. Point if you're going to get an infection, is there? <laughs> uh, another one for you, Hayley? Yeah, this this is a player you'll know well, Anton Ferdinand, obviously younger brother of Rio Ferdinand, and he was playing for West Ham. He actually missed a game and we'd all thought it was for legitimate reasons. He'd asked for some time off um, to visit his, his grandmother, but unfortunately she was on the Isle of Wight. Um, so he'd, he'd asked, that was fine. Alan Kerbishley, who was a manager at the time, was, was like, yep. Yeah, said, you know, he was really upset and rightly so. I, I said to him that he could go and visit his grandmother. You know, he said, I'd never forgive myself if she passed away and he wasn't able to, to make it. But guess what? He was in South Carolina. <laughs> How did he mm-hmm. make it to South and Carolina? And he was pictured in the Knock Knock nightclub with a few other players having a party. Oh. <gasps> I know I, he actually wasn't. He was, wasn't he, it his birthday as well or something? It was his. Yeah, it was a yeah. celebration. Yeah. And, and Curbs, I mean, he only fined him two weeks wages, which was actually quite a small price to pay for such a huge lie. Um, he could have maybe just told the manager he wanted to go on holiday. He probably wouldn't have let him go. I think that's probably why Anton didn't bother asking him. Um, but yeah, he just asked for a little bit of extra time away. But I, I mean, that's bad, isn't it? I remember yeah. a story about a player. I was trying to find it and couldn't. And he'd he, he'd asked for some time off because his grandmother had passed away. And he he was given some time was that, off. Was that Joey? Was it Joey Barton? Didn't Joey Barton do something like that been, back yes. in the and day? Then, yeah, and then a year later at the same team for the same manager, he asked for time off because his his grandmother did actually pass <laughs> oh, away no. and needed to go to the funeral. And the manager had remembered him taking time off the year before <laughs> for so. the same. He was like, oh, so it must be your mother's mother then. But he'd he'd forgotten the lie. So that's one of the biggest rules of lying. If you're going to lie, you've got to do it properly. Mm. Yeah. Or right. oh, just don't. Any more don't tell before we head on for all these falsehoods? <laughs> no. No, okay. All right, we'll, we'll wrap that one up there. I hope uh, if anyone's blagged a few days off work recently, you've done a better job than some of those players. All right, let's move on to, well, we've been giving, rightly so, uh, some Premier League owners some stick recently. But what about the good guys in football? So with all the talk of dodgy owners ruining football, just in it uh, for the money, who are some of the good guys and girls in the game? I'm sure we've got plenty of examples here. Of course, Delia Smith is the one that most fans will recognise as being genuinely very nice. I, I actually met her at Norwich. I went to go and see a game when my friend was working there. And yes, genuinely a very nice woman indeed. So I can certainly put the uh, rubber stamp of approval on that one. Um, Lindsay, have you got a good guy or a good girl in football? I uh, Yeah, I immediately went to Leicester City for this because I know so many Leicester City fans. I went to Loughborough University, which is near Leicester. Um, and from those connections, I, I know quite a few fans um, and within the media world as well. And they all love the owners. Now, of course, this current setup is surrounded by tragedy because um, Ayawat, who's known as Top, uh, Shivad Hanaprabar, um, succeeded his father, Vichai, who was killed in that helicopter crash back in 2018. But he's taken over from his father. Um, he, they they always together attended matches anyway. He's carried on attending the matches. That sounds like such a 
a, a minuscule thing, doesn't it? But there are so many, as we know with Manchester United, Haley and the Glazers, so many owners of big Premier League teams that don't even go to the games. But they do that. Um, they've done so many incentives as well for fans along the way. There were beers and pizzas given to all the fans. They had their travel paid for. Um, every time it was a birthday, there, there was some sort of celebration there. Um, there was transparency. You know, when I speak to people like Jeff Peters, who's a huge, huge Leicester City fan, he just thinks the treatment of supporters by Leicester City owners is right up there with the top. Um, the fact that they give back to the local community. He's often told me about the way that they invest as well in the infrastructure um, of the club. We've seen that with the new training facility, but it goes much deeper than that. There's the youth development um, that they've put a lot into, non-football, local charities. They're really investing in Leicester as a city. Um I just think that overall, this is the model. This is the one. If you want to be up there, because we're talking about a top team here, Leicester, who are going for Champions League football. They won the Premier League. They are setting the new benchmark of, of hopefully a club that can break into that traditional top six. This is the way it should be done. So hats off to top and everyone else involved in the running of Leicester City at the minute and especially in the wake of such tragedy as well. They've managed to carry on um, this brilliant tradition that that their dad had laid down and been so passionate about. So yeah, I think Leicester City for me. I'm going to go with Bristol City and Steve Lansdowne, the owner of the club. You may recognise the name. He's one half of the financial firm Hargreaves Lansdowne and that's enabled him um, to buy a huge chunk of Bristol City. And although they, they, you know, admittedly have had a patchy season, Nigel Pearson's now now in charge, but they've had this big slide down the tables. It's not been great this season, but he's been involved in the club since 1996. And I think one thing's for sure, he has been um, a very constant presence and does have the heart of the club and, really importantly, the um, area at the forefront of his mind when he sort of sets about trying to develop some sort of legacy. He also owns Bristol Sport and that organisation is all about elevating the area of Bristol and, you know, making it a destination for sport. And so you've got things, not only the football club, but Bristol Bears Rugby Club, the Basketball Club, the Women's Football Club as well, and Bristol Bears Women and and the stadium itself, all kind of um, sort of uh, under that umbrella of Bristol Sport. What I really like about him is he's always very transparent so the club you know it may not have been kind of golden times the whole way through but when he is asked to explain something like when he sold 100 million pounds worth of shares last year he's really happy to front up to the press and explain why and I think that's the mark of a good ownership really when it's when it's able to communicate honestly and openly with the fans so that if the fans get worried or jittery there's always a reasonable answer behind it he's continually invested money in the club um, and as I said you know clubs had a bit of a hard time this season but with you know someone like Steve Lansdowne there you trust that the bedrock is there for the club to succeed all sorts of investment going on and uh, yeah he for me gets top marks. I have got an owner who has officially been handed the crown for the best owner of a football club that's right it's Andy Holt, who's that you say? Well, he is the owner of Accrington Stanley. This guy... Accrington Stanley, you say? Who are they? Exactly. <laughs> wow. Half the people listening will not know what that is. I know. So... That that actually goes to show how old we are, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. Crikey. Um, but yeah, they're, they're mid-table in League One, but they have an absolutely 
outstanding owner. I didn't really know too much about him, but I am obsessed with his Twitter. I am now following him. He constantly tweets and he is constantly tweeting fans, replying to people, giving people an update on what's happening at the stadium. Even the most mundane of things, there's a bit of construction work going on. He's there with his right, camera I'm following phone. him now. Yeah, Here we taking, go. <laughs> taking pictures, posting. He's absolutely brilliant. He will also, he'll go to meetings and he'll, he'll, transcribe the minutes and pop them onto social media as well. Even if it's completely dull, he likes to make sure the fans know absolutely everything. He kind of builds his reputation on being completely transparent. He's tried to make the club sustainable. The fans absolutely love the match day experience. Um, The players absolutely love it if they win, because guess what? And this is a tweet by the sportsman. They say, with a picture of Andy Holt, the EFL have demanded an explanation from Accrington Stanley owner Andy Holt because he buys the players McDonald's when they win and it's not in their contracts. What oh, a guy. Lucky them. What a he guy apparently, indeed. Yeah so, yeah, so he obviously, he he understands this is a club that belongs to the community. He's brilliant with, with the fans. He's done some wonderful things with the grounds. He publishes figures. He holds question and answer sessions for the fans with himself and the managing director as well. I think he secretly quite likes being in the limelight, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, he, he he topped a 2019 ownership survey to earn the title of English football's best owner. And that was for a second year running as well. So it, it's great that he regularly posts his thoughts. Go and have a little follow of him on social media. I think it's Andy H. Holt. He's brilliant. All right, let's wrap it up there and get on to any other business. All right, any other business then? For those that have not listened to this show before, it's the point where we try and take some slightly undercover stories or stories that might need uh, a bit more pushing into the limelight and let you know what they are. I'm going to start us off with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, who came out this week and spoke about um, how when he contracted malaria, it, it really got him down. He spent a little while in hospital as well, lost four kilos in weight, contracted it whilst on international duty with Gabon in March. But yeah, he's just basically spoken out and said it was a horrendous time for him. Yeah, can be nasty, can't it, that? I mean, to think that affected him so much and he's an athlete in his prime, eating the right things, exercising with a great immune system can just show you what it does to those people who, you know, aren't in, aren't in that situation and, and, and highlighting a disease that is very much still out there that you don't really hear an awful lot about. So in terms of educating, you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I guess uh, one thing that's come from that is we've all been a little bit more educated about it. True. Right. Who's next? Well, I think we have to talk about Champions League finals and I'm I'm using using plural here. Um Chelsea, congratulations to them. They could actually become the first team to have a women's Champions League winner and men's winner in the same year. If Chelsea do win both finals, what a statement that would be. But one of the things I wanted to chat to you guys about was how Chelsea, certainly since um, Thomas Tuchel came in, have gone a little under the radar. Everyone has spoken about Manchester City possibly doing a quadruple. But there is a very real possibility that Chelsea could do a double here. They could do the FA Cup final and they could win the Champions League. And it hasn't really been talked about. 
It's true. It's true. Do you, do you I think that's that's the ideal, that, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's helped them, I think, because they have just been able to go about their business without that extra scrutiny and pressure pressure on them, I guess you'd, you'd have to say. Whereas I think Manchester United would definitely be feeling that a heck of a lot more. The one thing as well that many fans will have woken up to this morning, certainly if they're a Real Madrid fan with the Chelsea links, are these pictures that surface post-match of Eden Hazard, who was laughing and joking at the full-time whistle with a Chelsea former Chelsea teammate. And that has gone like wildfire around yeah. Spain. I mean, I don't know what a lot of these reporters and presenters are saying, but I'm just absolutely engrossed in the videos. Um <laughs> And and I can't imagine that the the headlines are going to be kind to Hazard uh, this morning. What did you think about that? Was it unprofessional? Well, just to, he's. It's not like he's Lionel Messi, is it? But not that Messi would do that. But yeah, completely unprofessional. A bit embarrassing. And it's not like he's starting every game. He's he's he's. I guess you'd have to say he's a player who's failed to make an impact. Okay. So I think when the fans see this, I just think it just it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. See, I agree with you, but originally when you said he's not Lionel Messi, I went down the other route. I thought you were going to say, look, he hasn't been associated with Real Madrid all his life like Messi has. Um, He hasn't got to show that sort of loyalty. But I guess with a £100 million price tag yeah um, and I think he'll look you back have to on be a bit think, respectful why did I I mean did he just lose himself for a minute perhaps it perhaps it happens to the best of us uh, another little line from that game is how Thiago Silva's wife is now Timo Werner's number one fan in the first leg in Spain she she actually really laid into him um she's called Belle Silva um she really laid into him on social media basically slamming her husband's teammates um but uh, all is forgiven uh, in this uh, game to get them through to the final. Uh, she then posted again saying, that's what I'm talking about. This is after his goal. That's what I'm talking about. You know how to score a goal. You're the best, my friend. So there you go. Uh, Thiago Silva's wife getting in there with all the fan opinion. I love that. Um, and some <laughs> and some funny celebrations outside the Etihad that I've seen from Manchester City fans as well, who are being taken the mickey out of because, of course, they can't gather in big numbers. So slightly muted celebrations, which uh, us neutrals uh, have been enjoying seeing people lay into on social media. All right, well, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for letting us know how you're finding us and what you're liking. If you want to do more of that, it's at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. We've got a brilliant website too, haven't we, Linz? We have, OffsideRulePodcast.com. Brand new articles up there every week. You can find out what has happened to some former Premier League stars. Nicholas and Elka is the most recent one. I can give you that as a bit of an exclusive. That one will pop up in the next day or so. Uh, Where are you girls this weekend then? Lindsay, you're, of course, uh, wind winding down probably uh it's the final lap isn't it towards the end of the season whereabouts are you next yeah no i was gonna say it's winding up before it winds down yeah. i'm um, i'm at cheltenham i'm actually Haley ding soccer oh. special again yeah um for a second time so they could be league two champions cheltenham and there were lots i don't know if you saw it on a social media lots of celebration videos when they actually got promoted i just wonder how big that celebration could be if they're actual <laughs> champions mm, yeah. and then i'm at molyneux on sunday it's wolves against brighton Oh, Hayley, you back at a studio very soon. 
I am, again, just sports news, but because I've done a couple of Sundays, I was on air when the Super League announcement was broken. Goodness me. And on air last Sunday when it was all falling apart at Old Trafford. I'm just hoping this Sunday is going to be a little bit quieter. But as you mentioned, you've got Wolves at lunchtime. Big day. United are away at Villa. You've got West Ham hosting Everton and then Arsenal against West Brom. So I am going to be flat out at work on a very long shift on Sunday, but looking forward to it. We'll have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye. You've been listening to The Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. The Athletic. Sports Social Podcast Network.